0: Hello. Hi, Jen. Hey, Sari. How are you? Good. I'm just looking ahead to when we're going to interview Connie Britton and wondering what I should know.
1: Connie Britton is one of the few women I know who, if you'll say, there's just something about her, uh, they mean it in a good way. Connie is an actress, producer. I got to know her through politics. She was involved in the Clinton campaign. She's gotten involved in the Biden campaign. First thing I saw her in, she had a supporting role in Brothers McMullen. Um, right. Yeah, I love that movie. And I really loved her in it. You know, Tammy Taylor at Friday Night Lights, the coach Taylor's wife, is probably her most um, famous role. She was in the West Wing. I feel that every character, she makes them very relatable, portrays them in a nuanced way that mm-hmm. is never over the top, but it really sticks with you.
0: People are obsessed with her uh, character on Friday Night Lights. I know everyone, I, I had a friend tell me, I had a friend tell me she wants Connie Britton to be her mom based on that character.
1: Yeah, and it's just, and I just, she's a friend of mine. I've gotten to know her and find that we have a lot of the same sort of sensibilities about you know, women realizing as you get older, you're just become more experienced and better. Um, mm-hmm. And in your own head, you need to view that as a positive and you need to convince the world that it is um, a positive. And it's interesting to me, you know, women like her have always been in front of the camera. Some of her other colleagues in, in Hollywood are doing this too. That's, you know, they're working and developing. They are directing, they're producing. Right. They understand that if they want their stories to be told, they have to be more involved in it. And I think they're really gotta do they're, it themselves. Yeah, do it themselves and they're really changing Hollywood. Um, plus she's just awesome and fun and has great hair. Has great mm-hmm. hair. All right. Awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to talk to her. Hey y'all. It's Connie Britton. <laughs> This is Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio, and I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. Welcome to the show, Connie. You know, this is a little intimidating because I feel like I have an obligation to all the Britonologists out there, <laughs> like there are certain things that they're going to want to hear about during this interview. I don't think that's a thing. I don't think they are. I think it's a thing. People love you in a way that is, I think, unique for actors. You know the the podcast is called just something about her, and normally when that's said about a woman, as you and I both know, there's something derogatory attached to it. Like, mm-hmm, there's just mm-hmm. something about her I don't like. There's just something about her I don't trust. But I feel like you are one of the women that people will say, "Wow, Connie Britton, there's just something about her," and they mean it in a good way. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw you was in the 1995 film, The Brothers McMullen. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. Oh. That's such a throwback. That was, that was my first thing ever. It was. I mean, and then I remembered every time I saw you afterwards, I was like, oh, it's that woman from, dude, that was in Brothers McMullen. And you played Molly was the character's name, right? Yes. And what I thought was so great was Molly's husband cheated on her, but the way you portrayed Molly, she was no kind of victim. Right. Um, And there was just so much intelligence and warmth and empathy in Molly that she transcended this bad situation that she was in. Mm -hmm. And I know you've talked about that... When you started in the business, it was, like, a time where women were still in supportive roles. And so you had to work hard to make these women, like, fill them out to, like, actual human beings. Right, right. A lot of women have to, in their own career, have to do something like that to accommodate for being in a position that's generally lower than the men or having to work harder. But it, in the end, it makes you better, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that, was, that made you just... Better at this,
2: as with you always. Every time I listen to your insight into anything, it is always so illuminating for me. And even hearing you talk about my my own life and my own career is like, oh, you're making me think about it in a different way. And now that you say that, and I look back on when I started really getting serious about acting, and I loved it so much, and taking acting classes, and all that. It felt to me like my job was to take the smallest amount of material and somehow give it dimension and complexity and womanhood, especially because when you're starting out, the material is even smaller, like you get the small part. So that challenge always felt like, oh, yeah, that's part of the job as an actress, that's what you have to do. And then You know, it's funny when you even talk about the character of Molly and Brothers McMullen. You know, she gets cheated on. It's a movie about three brothers. She's the good wife. And I just knew I did not want, in this small amount of screen time that I had, I didn't want her to be a victim. It just doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the male characters either, by the way. It doesn't. That's a really good point. It's funny. I'm thinking, well, I guess maybe I've just always been a feminist- actor, you know, I mean, cause I think with every role that I have played, I've tried to look at it from the standpoint of how will this woman be in her power? And in every circumstance that's different. And that's been the fun for me is exploring within every character. Okay. Where does this woman's power come from? Where does right. she find her voice? In this culture and whatever the culture is of the storytelling in that particular world, I don't think anybody would point to these characters and be like, she's playing a feminist. That's not what it's about. And this is where I think people get really confused about the concept of feminism, too. That it's really, it's just pretty simple. It's just about looking within at yourself as a woman and then also without what your circumstances are and figuring out based on all of those things what your voice is and what your power is. And then just living to explore that and to live in that and to discover it, you know? And I think that's what we quote unquote feminists try to do. It's not rocket science <laughs> and it's not real well, radical,
1: but maybe that that's your, your staying power. Right. Mm-hmm. And also why people say like, Oh, Connie Britton was a late bloomer. Yeah. It takes a lot of discipline to be that nuanced because you could have gone over the top either way. You could have been mm-hmm. the total victim, had Molly be the total victim, and then right. that might be more of a splash. <laughs> you could have done that, right? But so, right. like, it takes some discipline to rein it in and try and be all of those things that women actually are. Really, I think it just takes
2: self discovery. This is why I have actually really enjoyed getting. Older, I mean, not not all of it, let's be honest, but (laughs) our life experience and the ability to know ourselves better through sheer experience and trial and error and taking risks and all the rest of it makes us better. I'm just always trying to learn more about the world and how people interconnect and. You know, from the people that I work with, I'm just a sponge for what they can teach me. But I will say that, for instance, again, going back to the Brothers McMullen as an example, which was written and directed by a very young Ed Burns. Yeah. He was man enough to know that he'd written a script about three brothers, something that he knew a lot about. And he really wanted to hear from me about that woman because he acknowledged he didn't know as much about that. And so he was very inclusive in that experience of developing those stories and the characters and all the rest of it. And that's where the change lies, I think.
1: So the change doesn't have to lie in that there needs to be all women writers and women directors and women creators. I feel like that's a controversial statement. I mean, listen, I am really in support
2: of hiring women uh, across the board in all the ways that we can. And I want women's voices out there. And I think that that too will be a new form of storytelling and artistry and commerce and all the rest of it. If we truly have at least 50, 50 representation across the board. So I'm not saying I'm not all for that because I am, But I'm also saying that I think in the intention of that, having male
1: allies will only deepen the impact of it even further. That's that's kind of it. Ultimately, it's like you don't want to have men in one silo and then women in another. You want Mm -hmm. both sides to appreciate and understand where the other one is coming from. Certainly had in my career that men are very good partners and good allies. It also is true that I found, you know, they rise faster than I do. But what it has forced me to do is to realize women's success is never going to be what we've traditionally thought of as male success or what we have usually mm-hmm. thought of as success because that was usually one under a power system that was keeping, blocking women out, was blocking people of color out. And so it needs to be different. Mm-hmm. I've heard you say that women had more power in television than in film because women as viewers watched a lot of TV. They were the audience. Um, now that TV has so much cultural cachet and you know streaming services, it's just dominating the industry. Do women have more power in Hollywood than they did before when TV was considered second tier?
2: I do think that's what we're seeing. And what's interesting about that is in the way of commerce is there's a demand for it. Yeah. You know, there used to be such a big division, you know, between TV and film. Right. And now everybody wants to do TV. I think there's a huge demand for it. And therefore, I think that the landscape is going to change in terms of the stories that we're seeing reflected back to us, which to me is very exciting. So that that's all great. And, and we yeah. need to stay on it. But the pay
1: issue is still uh, really an issue. I mean, that's the nut mm-hmm. of it across that the board. That is the nut of it. We do not value women the same way we do as uh-uh. men. We do not. It's so deeply accepted. And we accept it. I mean, I used to, I, you yeah. know, I totally expected to do worse than the men and accept it when it happened and be happy with crumbs. Right. Oh gosh, crumbs. And of course, in my business, it's just so
2: Gross because it's, you know, they, they say things like, he's worth more. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's worth more. He's worth more at the box office or his parts bigger or yeah. he's number one on the call sheet or whatever, you know. And I've been okay with that. I've accepted that.
1: Right. Cause you're like, well, they're right.
2: Yeah. And, but as women, also, it's so easy for us to accept less. It's so built into our cultural DNA. Yeah. That we are less worthy, and that—that's a big hurdle that we need to kind of lock arms and make a plan, and let's get that changed. Because it's not just about the bosses and the corporations saying we're only going to pay you this much. It—it it really is about our cultural identity. And I mean, listen—if you want to talk about not being victims. The first move is we have to look, really look deep within ourselves and say, okay, can I truly value myself enough to demand this for myself and therefore walk through all the vitriol and all the excuses and name calling that will be directed at me so that I can ask for this for myself. You know, because that's the thing. The name calling starts in our own brains. (laughs) Yep. And
1: and then it goes outward from there. So yes,
2: it's it's a tough one.
1: Did you find that there's been a moment where it's turned on you to be like, there's just something about her, Connie Britton, that's a problem?
2: Yeah, I've been in certain work environments where Mm -hmm. if I've tried to speak up and articulate what is important to me in whatever circumstances, and the person doesn't want to hear it, no matter what way I do that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. part of this journey and experiential learning that I've been doing has been about finding ways to speak and use my voice and do so in ways that it can actually be heard because, you know, a lot of times people don't want to hear from a woman. And yet I have found that even in doing that, and sometimes not doing it as coolly as I would like to, there is such a quick trigger to say, oh, you know, she's a problem. She's bitchy, whatever. Because also as women, we're not supposed to ask for what we need or what we want. Yeah. So when we do that, there's always a risk involved. And I found it to be tricky. Yeah. I found it to be difficult. And that's even feeling that, to some degree, I've i have gotten pretty good at it. Right. And still. Right. Still.
1: Okay, let's take a short break and we'll be right back. We're back and we're talking to actress and producer Connie Britton. Okay, let's talk about your production company. So many women in Hollywood who in a different time may have been considered aging out of their careers are instead taking control of development. You Mm -hmm. have your own development company right now, right? You have your first look deal with Amazon. These are all about things that are you creating your own work and being involved on the front end of the project. Do you find that in doing development work, that kind of stuff that that gives you more of this control and input? It does feel that way, which is,
2: you know, one of the reasons why I've loved doing this. And this is a new chapter for me, you know, as a producer. All that being said, now I see the other places where resistance comes up, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. and where the walls come up and where there's still built in very old fashioned ideas about what will work and what won't work on television. I'm learning it now in a whole new way. I'm like, oh, and it makes me realize, wow, when something really subversive and mm-hmm. meaningful actually makes it to our television screens, that is an enormous, enormous victory. Everybody wants something that's groundbreaking and, um, you know, like... <laughs> Uh, and, you know, t- a yeah. totally uh, just a different perspective than we've ever seen and all that. But also, it should probably fit into these parameters. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So it's like confusion, really. I mean, yes. I just, it's funny because, and 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 I think that's just what progress is. I think progress yes. is always, you're always trying to push through barriers, but the barriers are still there. So it's about what it looks like to be able to push those out to the side, just a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further each time. But also, I mean, and you're such a perfect person to talk about this too. It's like the whole idea of like, well, female characters, they always have to be likable, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You can do whatever you want. Just, I got to make sure I like her. Well now, of course, as you know, and have written about so beautifully and astutely we are so quick to judge our women and say that there's just something about her I don't like. And the same is true when creating and developing female characters. Yeah. It is it's so quick and easy to say, mm, oh, I don't think she's likable.
1: Even before you had your own development production company, you were crafting your characters in Friday Night Lights and in Nashville. For people who don't know these two characters, I want to pull back and sort of set up both Tammy Taylor from Friday Night Lights and Raina James from Nashville. Friday Night Lights, story about high school football in Texas centered around the coach. Tammy Taylor is the coach's wife, literally on the sidelines, but you managed to make her you know, one of the more durable and admired women characters in television. And then the same with Nashville, which is a show about sort of behind the scenes of the country music industry with, you know, the queen of country music, uh, Raina James, who uh, is older in her 40s, but you refuse to allow Raina to be portrayed as aging. And I think that really mattered. Talk about both of the development of those characters, what you were trying to do, because I think they made a big difference in how women can, older women can look at themselves.
2: I I feel so lucky to have had all these experiences. I mean, looking at Friday night lights and playing Tammy Taylor. I mean, that's such a great example of, because I played Sharon Gaines in the movie of Friday night lights, Mm -hmm. who was of course the actual wife of the coach about which the story was written Friday night lights. And that was a true story, a true account of that small Texas town. But you know, in the movie i i had, no, I had literally nothing to do
1: mm-hmm.
2: when i watched the movie for the first time i thought i think they made my character mute
1: <laughs> i have not i have not <laughs> seen
2: the movie actually
1: so
2: maybe i won't it's, watch it it's different no 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 i mean it's, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful film but very different so anyway the point is when and this is another example actually of male allies because when Pete Berg asked me to do the TV show, mm-hmm. and I've talked about this a lot, but I didn't want to do it because I felt like I was having my own moment in my life of, you know, I don't want to just be on the sidelines.
1: Literally the wife Yeah, of a literally. it
2: <laughs> couldn't be a more perfect example <laughs> of not yeah. wanting to be on the sidelines. Um, you, the only thing worse than being in a football show and literally sitting on the sidelines is being the woman who's sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. But he said to me, this is our opportunity to give these women a voice. They are such an important part of that culture. They're such an important part of that town. I couldn't do it in the movie. I didn't have space for it. I knew it when we were shooting. I was worried about it. This is our chance. This is our chance to get it back. And, And he was really intentional about that. You know, and then Jason Kadams came in and, he wanted to do it too. And so, you know, I pushed every step of the way. And that was, of course, that was where I met Sarah Aubrey too. Mm -hmm. She wanted it as much as I did. Peter Berg was the showrunner creator of the show. He created the show. And then Jason Kadams was the showrunner. Okay. Okay. Jason Kadams, you would know because he then went on, he did Parenthood. He's done a bunch of like Mm -hmm. beloved shows.
1: And what was Sarah's role? I didn't know what Sarah's role was on no, Sarah Nellets. Was, Sarah was Pete's producing partner. And then with um Raina James in Nashville, Raina in particular was cast as kind of aging, faded country star, but you really resisted that characterization. What motivated you to push back? for me as i've you know
2: matured in this business i've felt this great opportunity and responsibility to depict women who are in their 40s which is not even old by the way like that's just getting started as far as i'm concerned totally. but like to depict them the way that i have actually seen them and the way they actually really are, as opposed to what our culture has told us about them, for centuries. And just because you're doing a TV show where you've got a more experienced female performer, and then a less experienced female performer who's coming up at a different time in a different way, so you have two women, right?
1: Yes. Cat
2: fight. And then, of course, if you've got a younger one, that means the older one is aging and withered. Yes. And defensive. Yeah. Like, why? Why? why, What? They can't both be powerful and they can't both be flawed and they can't both be having completely different life experiences, which is actually what the truth is. Right. Why do we have to put judgment on it? Why do we have to put a name on it? And why do we have to, like, denigrate the life experience of the woman who has more life experience. Anyways, <clears throat> I had some opinions about that. Yeah. Uh, also, frankly, I wasn't feeling old at the time that I was shooting that, and I was kind of like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't think of myself that way. I, I, I'm still, like, an actress in Hollywood. Like, no. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't reference me in that way. And the characters that I play, no way. Sometimes it takes, it takes women, uh, longer to get to the point where they can enjoy real success. It's like, I'm not going anywhere.
2: Yeah. All of your wisdom is a direct result of the incredible experiences that you've had and that you've created for yourself. And, you know, so I just, I just feel like it's important for us all to really know that we're just getting better.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and if we don't look at ourselves that way, we're, we're missing the point. To get ready for this and reading some articles from a few years ago, particularly about Nashville and how, like that they said in the pilot they had wanted you to like push your face up like as if you were giving like imagining a facelift Mm -hmm. i mean the way i feel about it i was like i love older women's faces and i love to see wrinkles because i imagine it just like gives you some sort of comfort that there was something
2: yeah they've lived
1: a long life they're like a connection to the past there's like this pressure of now that makes Mm. me just like i find exhausting but yeah i know you ended up doing something different with your face in that same
2: well, that was one too, for me, where I, it just felt like, wait, I don't actually do that to myself. And also I think it was supposed to be done in front of my husband or something. And it felt performative, you know, like right. I'm going to show everybody now that I have wrinkles on my face. And I understand the, what moment was about in the scene is that she's sort of seeing herself in this other way and you know, not happy about it, whatever. But it felt really important to me, and particularly because that was an early moment in the pilot, in the storytelling, where I just didn't want to immediately depict this character as somebody who's worried about her face looking like it's had a life. You know what I mean? Like, we are so hard on ourselves as women.
1: Yeah. We
2: are trained to be hard on ourselves as women and expected to hold up to ridiculous standards. And to me, just that little moment felt like I was succumbing to that. And it wasn't that I was saying that at some point, this character wouldn't have a low moment and feel that way. Right. But I didn't want it to be yet because... The pilot is so important because it's it's the moment where people really get to know who these characters are.
1: Okay, we will be back with Connie Britton after a short message. We're back and I'm talking to actress and producer Connie Britton. This is a quote from a Vogue uh, write-up of you that struck me. Connie Britton is known for playing red state characters with enviable hair whom blue state viewers love to obsess over. And we both had this experience of like having Yankee mothers, kind of grew up in the South. Mm-hmm. Dads that went to MIT. I forgot your dad went to MIT, my too. My dad, my parents, your parents met when, when right, your parents met when your dad was right. a grad student at MIT. My parents yeah. went when my dad was a grad student at MIT. Probably around the same Wait, time, too. Yeah. I did
2: not remember that.
1: Yeah, yeah. That is so crazy. Yeah. I totally forgot that. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I do feel like there is some bridge with your characters. And, you know, I know when you, like, when you play Deborah Newell um, in Dirty mm-hmm. John, for example.
2: Dirty John is based on the podcast called Dirty John. And Deborah Newell, she goes on a dating website and ends up falling in love with somebody who is a sociopath and psychopath. And it's really a story about what happens. In that situation,
1: I really respected that it would be very easy to have that woman because I think everybody was like, "Oh my god, how stupid could this woman be?" And right. what you showed was she's not stupid at all. She's not stupid.
2: She's actually just shaped by all of the indicators that the culture has given her about how she's supposed to think about herself and who she's supposed to be, and you know what her life is supposed to look like, and. You know, for me, it was such an interesting thing to because, yeah, I mean, when people listen to that podcast, they were ruthless, yeah, about her. And the flip side of that is, I can't tell you the numbers of women that I had come to me and say I was in a situation just like that. Yeah, and it was so, oh, so you're going to say all the women who have been in situations like that, who are strong, intelligent women, that they're just stupid? No. It's because we have certain expectations of, again, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. It's like what we can put up with. Right. And you want to talk about accepting crumbs. We are trained to accept crumbs. And we are also trained to feel like we are better if we have a man in our lives and we can ask for very little from him. To me, that's a real, that's a real women's issue. And, the dirty john story was just an extreme version of that
1: um we asked twitter i said that I was going to be talking to you and I'd be ask questions i had um one woman say like how she's a single mom too like mm-hmm. dealing at a time like this young child at home yeah uh yeah it's just like a lot if uh It is a lot. Have you had any advice for these single moms in the world?
2: Yeah. You know, I always preface these conversations by saying I have such immense empathy for single moms and single parents because I know how hard it is and I have so many resources That so many don't have, you know, so I know that I have it better than a lot of them and still it's really a challenge and when this all started and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be in quarantine with just me and my little boy and homeschooling for some unknown period of time, I think I was going to lose it. (laughs) I didn't didn't know how I was going to survive that. Yeah. And you know, we found our sort of like small, little, close knit community that we could quarantine with. Because that's the thing with being a single mom; it's so much about the the fact that it really does take a village. Yeah. And I have a community who helps me around me, who is loving and generous, and helps me raise my son. And that's how I make it work. And you know, listen, I want to go back to work. I'm dying to go back to work, but I don't know what that's going to look like as a single mom either. And I've been staying up at night worrying about it because you know in order to go back to work on a film set it's going to be a pretty extreme quarantine and um yeah. you know it's like well what i what, i'm going to have to just pull up with my son in in order to be able to go to work like that and anyway so it's really tough and i know that this is tough on everybody but just I encourage all single moms and single parents to really try to get the support that you need. And people who are usually part of that support system, try to figure it out, even in quarantine. Just try to figure it out so that you can give that support.
1: Sari, who is a producer on the show. Yes. She uh, asked me this question yesterday because, you know, it's something that she thinks about in her own life. You know, she said to me, a a lot of young women want to be mothers think about, like, what if I don't find a partner to have a child with? Would I have one Mm -hmm. my own? And that she finds it a scary thought and uh, wanted to know what gave you the courage to do that. Uh, Ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) Look... Responsible for a lot of the decisions in our life. <laughs> sure, I can do. This. I didn't know how hard it would be.
2: Just pure stupidity. No, I mean, yes, actually, that is kind of true. Yeah. But um, sometimes our ignorance is what gives us the courage we
1: need. I've heard that. I've heard that from lots of parents. Yeah, who did it, yeah um, on, on, with the partner or on their own. Yeah, you know, I I always wanted to have
2: kids, mm-hmm. and I also always wanted to adopt. And so um when I kind of when I got to the point where I was like, oh, this isn't happening in the time frame that I thought it was going to happen mm-hmm. and I know I want to adopt. So, and actually I had just lost both of my parents which, within 3 years of each other. So I was really feeling the impact of that in my life and so I thought, well, you know what? I can adopt a baby on my own. And, you know, I really had gotten to a place in my life where I felt like I could do pretty much anything on my own. And when I experienced, you know, the loss of both my parents, it sort of felt like, oh, I want family. Mm -hmm. And um, it may not be happening in exactly sort of the way that I'd envisioned it, but, you know, this is something I know I want to
1: do. And so I did it. Yeah, because that's what women are doing now. Not necessarily the way it has been envisioned before, Mm -hmm. but doing And I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. I mean,
2: raising a child without a partner, I just had no idea how much I didn't know. (laughs) And you don't have anybody to bounce anything off of. And when you're up in the middle of the night and you've got a crying baby and you're all alone Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and there's no guidebook, I can't tell you the number of moments that I wished that I had somebody to be like, what am I supposed to do? What do you think we should do? And definitely yearned for those conversations. And it was stressful, but got through it and get, and I'm, and I'm doing it. And of course it's so much more fulfilling and gratifying. You know, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't do anything differently. Yeah. You know, those are, those are the challenges that I hadn't anticipated because I was stupid. All
1: right. Um, all right. Yeah. Thank you, Connie. Yeah. I'm so happy to be yes, I you know. Too.
2: Let's do a proper catch up.
1: Do a proper catch up. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: All right. Take care. Okay. Of Bye. All right. Bye, honey.
0: Sarah, are you still there? I'm here.
1: So, do a little post game talk.
0: So, um, one of the things that stuck out to me because it's another similarity that you guys share is that you felt like you have had a lot of male mentors or at least allies throughout your career. She was mentioning one of the male writers on, I think it was Friday Night Lights, Uh uh, who listened to her and said, I don't have, or no, it was in that first movie.
1: Yeah, it was uh, Brothers McMullen. you got to watch it. It was Ed Ed Burns. Do you know who Ed Burns is? I don't think so. So You don't know who he is, and you know who Connie Britton is, right? So, like, in terms of her staying power, that's something. Right. (laughs) I mean, what I think is impressive about her is she did have, you know, she started her career at a time where women didn't have the voice that they have now and like hung in there and put like the real work into making characters that didn't just withstand the test of time but really gave women a way that they could see themselves in her characters but also see them do empowering things that maybe women might be scared to do. That's a big accomplishment, sister, sister Britton. I
0: know. And she's now and she's in the big leagues cuz pushing for projects is harder than pushing for changing a line or not, you know. Yep. Yeah pushing against your wrinkles or something like that (laughs) but she said and I mean everyone knows this is true but she said like the big hurdle that's left is still pay um and I just love the way she put it because words matter so much and when someone says he's worth more yeah they're, they're talking about money but what they're saying is creating unconscious biases in all of us, that women are worth less, um, valued less. I
1: mean, we just like the root of it all, right. Is we don't value, like when are we going to get equity? It is when we value women the same as we value men. And that we do that, not just in what we say, but in our deeds, that is when it will happen because that's, what, you know, it's not like a particular law necessarily that holds us back. What holds us back is in, our, in women's heads, men's heads, collectively, we do not value women the same as men.
0: Well, yeah, I thought that was a really great conversation.
1: For everybody who's like, is she a awesome as Damon Taylor? Yes. Yes, she is, friends. Just Something About Her is a podcast from The Recount. Thank you to Connie Britton for being here. If you like this episode of Just Something About Her, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. Aaliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Ali Rogers is our associate producer. Sari Soffer is our producer. And Christian Castro-Russell is our executive producer.